folks. Welcome again to another edition here of The Mind of Magnus on 106.3 FM WRFZ LP Rochester, Rochester Free Radio. And as always, the cool kids are listening in online on their smart devices on rochesterfreeradio.com, which is cool. I like to see who's listening in. When you do that, we can double check the numbers, which always helps out because that allows us to know... The numbers to tell our underwriters and those who are supporting this wonderful station. Our underwriters for this show, people who make this stuff possible, are my favorite people. And the people I want to give a shout out to right now is Eric Radio. Eric Radio uh, is a team of guys who just make radio fun again. They have the morning spots here on Rochester Free Radio, but also you can listen to their uh, old shows or podcasts. Go to uh, airrecradio.com or better yet, check them out on their Facebook page. You can see their live shows when it happens. Uh, they put video up as a recording, and they're just a great team of dudes making some cool radio happening. Uh, Matt and I will actually be joining them at some point, some other fun projects coming down the road. So, uh, But definitely check them out. Go to airrecradio.com, say hi to Corey and Stacy. let them know that Magnus said hello. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to our Patreon supporters. Uh, if you guys are a Patreon supporter here for Rochester Free Radio, you know that you're my favorite people in the world because I've been sending out some thank-you drawings to those who've been tossing a few dollars, uh, a couple dollars a month, whatever you can do, whatever you can cover. Uh, if you want to do a lump sum of a million dollars, I won't say no to that. You're welcome to do so. Um, but uh, if you have a few dollars, let us know. Just go to the Rochester Free Radio, click on the big orange button, and you can uh, become a Patreon supporter of Rochester Free Radio for just a couple dollars a month. All it takes. Uh, that's pretty much it. So uh, you are listening to me, the host with the most, Magnus, uh, as is the mind of Magnus. Uh, the guy in the, black, the glass box, we keep him in there for safety, Mr. Matt Obscure. How you doing in there, Matt? Good evening. Yeah, I'm doing great. A uh, little bit of wrestling with modern technology here. 21st century is just not getting along with me tonight, which is why I'm super excited for our show. <laughs> we'll go back in time for fun, fun stuff momentarily in that. Um, so, Matt, you know me. I'm a, a, a graphic designer, art sort of dude. I have always had a flair for, I like visual things. I uh, And but you may not know is I kind of come from um, I was at the mercy of my parents design I guess I grew up in the country I was the last phone number of Rochester I'm middle of nowhere my next door neighbor was a long distance phone call and I'm not joking actually literally the next door neighbor was literally the, the next you know, phone number coming in another county away uh, and I was at the mercy of my parents who were born early in the 40s uh, and they had a great design for their eye for things, but they were all uh, the vinyl records I see from them. The TV shows were network stuff and sometimes from PBS uh, and things like uh, Merry Melodies with the uh, 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 Maurice Noble backgrounds, those bright graphic design images. So I realize, as I've been researching for today's show, that I saw a lot of this stuff and where my graphic design eye comes from, that simple colorful lines, beautiful symmetry, comes from a bit of my mom and dad's love of uh, mid-century modern work. It, it is just a, a thing I didn't realize what I, where the spawn, this had spawned from, where my, my graphic design eye came from, but thanks mom and dad for never getting out of the, uh, the, the mid-70s for style or anything else beyond that. It worked out really well for me, I think. Uh, but tonight is going to be a great one because on the show, we're actually going to be talking about mid-century America style, speci specifically in the vinyl LP world. So, Matt, you ready for the show? Oh, I'm super ready for the show. <laughs> this I'm actually, very excited. Yeah, this show is a lot for you, too. I know you're going to love it. I've, I've been wanting to look more at this, get this book in my hands. I haven't yet. Uh, tonight, my guests are actually having a pair of uh, lovely folks on tonight. Uh, the authors, uh, uh, Janet Borgensen and Jonathan Schroeder, are from Design for Hi-Fi Living. It's a vinyl LP in the mid-century America. This hardcover, beautiful book showcasing some amazing bits of vinyl and just 
the 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 beautiful rap that happened during the musical era from when is actually uh, actually come on guys let's just join you right in the show here let's just bring you right in so so uh jonathan and janet thank you for joining me uh first off i need to need to get the what is mid-century to you i see the the can you define it in a sentence that's uh we think of mid-century as really from the 40s to the 60s late 60s -hmm. and for you know, there's mid-century modernism, mid-century design, and so we started writing about mid-century vinyl. Mid-century vinyl, and you guys uh, have been a lover of music and vinyl. This is spawned from a love of music, and you happen to come into this beautiful artwork that's in front of it. I seems like, huh? Well, it, I mean, in some sense, the reason that it's mid-century LPs and not 70s LPs or, or 80s or 90s is that when we were looking through bin after bin um, of, of vinyl LPs, those were the ones that stood out to us. Those are the ones that, that called and said, take us home. So there was something about the design, something about those colors, something about the staging of the people and the places that mm-hmm. appealed to us. And uh, that's why the book is focused on those mid-century records, because the records pretty much told us what to do. That's awesome. Now, how big is this book here we have in front of us right now? It is how many pages? Well, I flip to the back and check, actually. <laughs> Yay, numbers, numbers, numbers. I should be able to find one here. Oh, so... Over 400 pages. Over 400 pages. It reproduces about 150 album covers in full color. And we tried to tell the story of post-war America through these album covers. And it seems like you're like me, I think. You got a bit of a vibe. Staring at these covers, you get a a window into what... Like it's like I said, there's culture. I'm I'm currently staring at like Mexico. It's sounds of people and stuff. But there seems to be... The story of, you know, like the Christmas uh, holiday at the Radio Suite Musical. I mean, this is what I envision. Like, this is taken <laughs> right out of what Christmas holidays were growing up as a childhood or anything else. Yeah, exactly. It, that red. That yeah, yeah. red. And and we love the fact that we have that in there because it opens up to a full-blown centerfold and it was a Kodachrome. And since we're in Rochester, we love that that little <laughs> extra connection. Yeah, that but. was that was actually a colorama. So that was exhibited in Grand Central Station in the 60s. Wow, really? Wow. Yeah. Now, uh, I should. Back, I got. I got super excited about this. I should say. I, ju- I normally. I jump the gun a bit. I normally go right into talking about the people first. But I've been sitting in front of this book and just want to start talking about it. <laughs> but uh, you, lovely folks, aren't originally from Rochester, right? You are. Right. You're a. Uh, I, as you're wearing a giant, nice Michigan shirt here now. <laughs> uh, Michigan. Uh, yeah, yeah. The Michigan yeah. folks, huh? Yeah, we we both grew up in Michigan. Oh, nice. So, uh, and traveling around, you guys have now found yourself in Rochester. Mm-hmm. Um, is between the beginning of Michigan and Rochester, there has been a path of music, it seems like, right? Well, and locations where we were able to find records that maybe wouldn't have been in front of us if we'd only stayed in one place or if we'd only been in the U.S. We lived in Sweden for five years and we lived in England for six. Oh, that must have been... I mean, that seems like vinyls kind of go there sometimes. They do. And a couple of our best, what we think of as the best Capital of the World uh, records that are in the book, we picked up in Stockholm. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, This would be good. One of my previous guests uh, that was on, uh, Bill Schifferly, he was on last year. He's a collector of vinyl. And he literally, those are the places he goes. He actually has been going to like Northern Europe. 
they are the ones that, as he describes it, as a culture that appreciated music, appreciated vinyl when vinyl was the best case for it, and also people that kept things. They were very yeah. good at organizing and keeping stuff. Totally. So yeah. he says yeah, he he literally takes trips there. His his trip is like, again to go to the northern Europe somewhere up there to search out some fun LPs and that. Yeah, and they're always in good shape. Yeah, and they're kept in plastic sleeves. Yeah, <laughs> I mean we 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 collect a lot of dollar and you know twenty five cent vinyl too, and some mm-hmm. of those can be in rough shape. But we were drawn to these fun covers, mm-hmm. and you know, this is kind of the golden age of album cover design, and we wanted the book to celebrate that. And when sometimes we, maybe initially we were just struck by the color, or struck by the font, or struck mm-hmm. by the design, or rarely the music, but occasionally we learn to love the music. <laughs> um, but it was it was often uh, the case that after we brought the record home, we'd think, wow, that's interesting. Who took that photo? And then we would find out, oh, this was by Lee Friedlander. Oh, my God, that is a, you know, Rita Carava or mm-hmm. um, the the illustrations were done by someone that we didn't know much about. But we were intrigued and spent some time to look them up. And and we've learned a lot and also felt lucky that we were able to include some of these photographers in the book kind of by chance, because, again, it was the records that that told the story. And that's why they're in the book. <laughs> Hmm. So uh, if I say this right now too, if anyone's listening in, they want to message in to show you a question, message about your favorite album cover, whatever you want to do, you can message me directly at Magnus Apollo on Twitter. You can even send a message to the guy in the box if you want to, Mr. Matt Obscure, tell him the sounds doing good in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you can also send an email to the show here directly at mindofmagnus at gmail dot com. Uh, and uh, actually, you guys, uh, social media savvy people, do you have? Uh, I know you have something going on. Yeah, uh, I have. I have a Twitter account and. We do Facebook and nice, Instagram. Nice, nice. So. Do you want to give out your Twitter handle? You, uh, you feel like doing so? <laughs> I don't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. We'll post about it on the show if people want to know more. But that's what I, I'll give mine out first. I should ask that ahead of time. But uh, yeah, if you have any questions or you want to talk about your own favorite vinyl, let us know. I see people from messaging in. Matt DeTurk just said he's excited about listening to the show. Uh, a man who's given me uh, so much music to uh, listen to. And my soundtrack for my life happens multiple times with Matt. Uh, but if you guys have any questions, let us know. It's Magnus Apollo on Twitter or send an email to us. Um, now, uh, I did have one person's message already. It's just because they're asking about if I missed the trivia question because people love having trivia questions. So, <laughs> so this is how it works on the show. I always uh, ask at least one question and you have all show to answer it. Uh, people can message in, help us out if you want to as well. Uh, and if you get it right, you can join me for Meatballs and Beer at Skylark. We have a conversation go a little more. Uh, or Cash Value. You've never seen my face again. That's also how it works. Oh, no. Meatballs uh, and Beer <laughs> sound like the best. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, because I enjoy conversations. And uh, the thought process, one of these days we may just put the microphones up and have podcast form of this show where you can swear and everything else. Uh, which is good because we actually have a podcast now. Our, our show is available now on iTunes and, and Google and everything else. So, uh, but, uh, so we answer the trivia. Uh, the first person who messages in with a correct, uh, correct answer can join us if they want to or just hang around with me, whatever they want to do. Uh, but uh, that's it. So uh, the trivia question is usually Rochester-centric, something that's very Rochester. And sometimes it's a, uh, uh, a very esoteric question so but i uh, forgive me there's only so many questions you can ask about the city i guess <laughs> but so the trivia question people are asking tonight this is one talking about musicians and trying to keep somewhat of a theme here uh it's a little bit different than normal so hang on folks listen to this one so in 1976 uh with 12 million copies of his live record uh he packed the then war memorial now the blue cross arena uh but five years later though the artist couldn't fill a thousand seat of the triangle theater which is now the harrowese ballroom i believe so, uh, in 1976, this artist, who was it? 
12 million copies. Uh, then five years later, he couldn't do it. Now, it was his, uh, this is going to be, this is not a multiple choice tonight. I'm going to do is going to offer random uh, uh, like hints to the possible answer. <laughs> so every so many minutes, I'll give a couple more things on there. See if, because <laughs> I don't want this guy to win again. So <laughs> he, he, uh, this guy, he always wins. We had like, if, like Mr. Matt Obscure himself, of course. Uh, so in 1976, do, do you know, Matt, who would be the person that 12 million copies of his live record packed at War Memorial? I have it narrowed down to a couple names, so I'm waiting for some hints to see if I'm Okay, on okay. So instead of multiple choice, I'm going to offer a couple hints here. Uh, the, cal- the cover of the album is a single photo from the chest up, stage lights illuminating his mane no. of hair. Oh, I think doughy I eyes. All three of us got I it, didn't we? all got it? I know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You can, you, you can guess now. I mean, it's a relatively easy one, I figure, but who knows? Uh, the, the other one, if you want, uh, it's a double live album. Peter Frampton. There he is. It could be wrong. Could be right. Yeah, yeah. Peter Frampton. Uh, yeah, exactly. I saw, a t- you know, I saw an, another show in that tour, and I sat in the front row and took some great photographs. Really? Yeah. Nice. Now, so good job. I think you guys I are gonna never get it. owned the album, and I am quite proud to say that. Sorry. You and I both. Stay strong. Uh, that's great. Every time I think of Peter Frampton, all I can think of is the it's a Family Guy reference. Just it's the, this Peter Frampton. Every time he comes up, I talk about that. the vocoder. Oh, yeah, the vo- man. exactly the vocoder. The vocoder yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you, have you guys both been uh, folks that are you uh, concert goers? Are you? Li- yeah, yeah. We we like to see live music, and we you know we get. We now we feel like chaperones sometimes, oh, sad, but anyway, sad, we, yeah. we still we still get out there. Yeah, we try to go. Just pretend like you're a person that owns a record album. You're like right. someone. Bought, I, I someone said this guy is really good. I got to listen to him. I'm paying him millions of dollars. Just pretend. And that's how it works. Um, so uh, we actually had someone actually wrote in uh, saying actually talking about um, they they so they enjoy mid century themselves. They're uh, like they. This is very real, wouldn't uh, Today, more than ever, it seems like everyone's loving mid-century modern, uh, mid-century and mid-century modern. Mad Men, uh, Home Decor Magazine show, he's half the homes in there. Uh, and uh, he goes, I even see The Daily Show now have the, the Knoll sh- uh, office chairs uh-huh. up in there mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you, the, que- the, the question is, is do you guys have an awesome mid-century looking home as well? Do you, Does your yeah, style we, match this? We do. We, you know, I... I grew up in Michigan, so I really got to like the Cranbrook furniture. So Charles mm-hmm. and Ray Eames, Harry Bertoya, George Nelson. And uh, I started collecting that. And then we lived in Stockholm for a while. And so we thought, well, let's buy Scandinavian furniture that will go with our American modernism. Uh-huh. And when, so when we moved to Rochester, we really wanted to buy a glass box house. But there's not that many <laughs> of them here. Kind of snowy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're They're cool. we, did, we did buy, it's an 80s house, and I think it goes pretty well. And we have a lot of the chairs. And, and in Chapter 2, the modern art and design chapter of the book, um, the motivation for putting that chapter together was the record albums that we had purchased from this era often had modern furniture, mm. whether it was a Bertoya chair or Eames chairs or modern art. Um, we thought, oh, we love those objects. We love those chairs. Let's get the record album. And when we were thinking of how to theme different chapters, we thought, oh, my God, mid-century modern art and design. And uh, we just love these covers. Let's Listen has this glorious yellow, and it has something like an Elson bench, and uh, it has a Bertoya bird chair with the, the footstool, and uh, Relaxing with Perry Como as well, except that one is a gorgeous royal blue. So It's a stunning thing. Like, So do you have uh, splashes of color in your house? I mean, is this how... 
Or it's it's a fairly colorful version. It is of, colorful. Of okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You guys strike yeah. me as colorful people. Yeah. I mean, like it just I, doesn't yeah. that could be subdued in grayscale. I figure <laughs> there's going to be a lot of there's splashing. A, there's a there's a bright green couch. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's amazing. And, and we love Marimekko because we lived in Nordic countries, Scandinavia. Um, Marimekko with those bright flowers, mm-hmm. those those funny animal prints. Uh, they're repetitive, but they're so colorful. You you forgive them for repeating over and over and. and <laughs> And we we have, have that everywhere. And we have we have one room dedicated to our albums, and we have a rock rock poster collection. So Mostly, we really which I've taken rock posters, taken off telephone poles, and they have stable. Oh holes, wow! But we don't care. Excellent. They're just you See, know. That's that's, a, that's amazing to me because it's, yeah, it's kind of from wherever we lived. You know, we we'd collect a few rock posters. Yeah. That was actually a question that came in: is like, how many records do these lovely people have? <laughs> so, do you have a number? Do you have an idea, or is this by the pound now? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. That's what people say. They've gone to being you know, by the pound. But for us, we're, we're still probably right around 5,000. So not an overwhelming poundage, but uh, enough to create an archive for several planned books in the future. Nice. <laughs> Good. You get, you get the question another way now. Actually, going to ask him, like, okay, this is an amazing book, uh, full, especially full color book. I've seen those books where it's a, a handful of like, and here's a nice album to center where we can afford the color. Mm. But this is a full color, 400 page book. Yeah, with, we with were albums on every other page. I mean, mm. this is yeah, mm. we were happy. You know, we we wanted to show a lot of albums, but we also wanted to write about each one, mm-hmm. and then we frame it again as kind of this history of the mid century. We talk a lot about how these albums are interesting in terms of design, Mm -hmm. photography, but also there's this subtle element of the Cold War that pulses through our albums. So you begin to see how these popular artifacts reflect the the big raging battle between the ideologies of the superpowers. That that sounds amazing. Can you uh, delve a little more into this? I mean, I'd love to see what... what, what did you notice? What did you see happening? Like what you are now like historians, but looking the, the lens you're looking yeah, through is of. artists. Exactly. eye exactly. paired with yeah. musicians a bit. Cause you still have to work yeah. a little bit. You can't totally. be too crazy. No, totally. So you guys are, are modern, like, you know, archeologists, sociologists jumping back into this. Like what sort of things do you notice? You see, like if someone's looking at this, what can they see looking at, pick up an album? Like, well, maybe the first step for us might have just been noticing that they were pedagogical or that they were trying to teach people how to do something. Mm-hmm. Say, have someone over for a Chinese dinner at home or have uh, a dance party. Mm-hmm. And the records might have recipes or they might tell you how to decorate or the way you might choose the records you were going to play. And wow. it's really only kind of one step from that kind of pedagogical um development to telling people a little bit about what the nation they live in should develop into and how they might participate so how in to that. steer to be the american idea exactly. so like so like is this why you would see there's a lot of like um, you know american barbecue yeah. de- porch sort of things right. like how to have that summer party right. thing so yeah. it, and this was america's way of keeping the america image well i think forward? It, it like, just gets reflected, you know. These some of the albums are from the big record companies like mm-hmm. Columbia and RCA, but others are were from small independent companies. But it just gets reflected in the themes that you see over and over when you collect these records and you start looking at them and analyzing. It's them. like, oh my God, Jonathan, we've been pulling the ones that have um, abstract art on the wall, or we've been pulling the ones that have recipes on the back cover. We're starting to see some patterns. We're starting to see some themes, and. I mean, I don't know, you don't have to be post-structural to, to understand, but the idea that 
rather than keeping or reflecting, actually constructing what it meant to be an American post-World wow. War II. Yeah. We, we think of these as a major information distribution format. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, because they're trying to teach, um, they, they are guiding and, and they are, in a sense, trying to unite. Oh, that's amazing. I guess it's a... It's there's very few ways of of getting what they wanted into a person's hand. I exactly. Mean, there's only there, I mean, radio can only do so much. Exactly. This is a big, pretty thing. Pictures, music, an opportunity, and a large opportunity. I mean, exactly. the, the, the surface space on a vinyl yeah. was large. Yeah. And there's stuff you could stuck in, stick inside. There's a sleeve you can put more in there if you really wanted to. Yeah. Seems yeah. like. Now, uh, is there other thing components of uh, this that like? So we have looking at the vinyl artwork, but it, was there other stuff? More people are saying hello. Mm -hmm. Thanks again for everyone writing in, by the way. There are a lot of smiles. All of I'm getting like, this is cool. Yay. Okay. Yay. So, yeah, thanks. Uh, now, is there other like stuff that inside albums, things do you look for? Do you collect things? Like, what are the things that you, like, if you had your dream final store, you're walking in, you find this is not, you own it. This is when you're buying all the cool stuff. Yeah. Out. Like, I mean, what it, are we looking for? What's the thing that? Well, we began to collect some series. Uh -huh. So Columbia had a series called Adventures in Sound that was really kind of proto-world music. So they were, you know, sometimes they were kind of ethnomusicological music. Sometimes they were pop music of other countries. Capital had Capital of the World. And so there were about 400 albums that, again, featured music from around the world. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that was interesting is German beer drinking songs. It was one of the big sellers in that series. And... Then we collected a bunch of records from Japan, you know, Japanese sketches. And we're going, wow, that's, that's only 10 years after World War II ended. How, you know, this is an interesting example of the U.S. kind of trying to have rapprochement with the, the former enemies of World War II. And how did they do it? They did it through culture, music, and food. So yes. the albums, you know, they kind of, they, they don't connect, talk about yeah. the politics. They talk about the, the fun rear drinking music and, and culture. And we think of a lot of it, it is, as cultural diplomacy, but inward speaking, mm -hmm. not the U.S. necessarily speaking to other countries, though that too, but speaking to ourselves, communicating amongst ourselves to try to create some sorts of unifying notions. And I just saw today a great article on Thai restaurants in the U.S. And uh, we talk about cultural diplomacy, but in this case, it's culinary diplomacy. Mm -hmm. And in, in effect, we talk about that here, too, because if you're saying how to have a German dinner at home, you are in a sense doing culinary diplomacy. That is, through having the sounds of the German music in your home, the sounds of, um, you know, beer stein clinking and and getting people to think about <laughs> making wiener schnitzel and and uh and maybe wearing your lederhosen or whatever and having a little themed day uh, that's a that's a way to get people thinking again in a in a kinder more friendly way about mm -hmm. people who perhaps not long before there were a lot of negative information so about. connect on that base sort of levels like that you know food yes. music the stuff that moves you Base, base level, literally, don't yeah. worry about the extra stuff in it. It's hard to hold a grudge if you're wearing a dirndl. Yeah. <laughs> I understand completely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, have you guys ever done one of these parties or anything else? Have you ever take these albums up and followed the steps to do it? We did a space party. So You're my last, favorite people now. The last chapter in the book is about space, so mm -hmm. space records. And here you see the kind of the, the Soviet race, yeah. because obviously the Soviets got ahead of us after they launched Sputnik. Mm -hmm. And so that was 57. All of a sudden, 
all these space records came out. The space race was on. And so everyone was putting the moon and rockets on their covers. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the music had something to do with space, and they might have had an instrument like the theremin. Mm -hmm. But mostly it was just kind of a, a catchy theme for the cover. Yeah, that's right. I actually had a guest on a while back, and they're talking about the 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 space not the space race there, but the space cultural race. Yeah, it was like uh, there were moon parties, and just yeah. everyone was all crazy about retro future and yeah. and that sort of stuff. Yeah, so. and I mean, so for the space party, it was in conjunction with the George Eastman Museum's um, space exhibition, mm-hmm. wasn't that what that was? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we tried to have things like freeze-dried ice cream packets and, and yeah. space sticks space you know. sticks they were yeah, horrible yeah. as usual yeah. uh we just we decorated with little lego space themed toys and and we showed space thrillers in in the basement on the wall you know well and we brilliant. listen one of the records in the book is a it's basically a radio show mm-hmm. that plays the live broadcast of the the, the apollo uh, 11 uh, landing. landing yeah and it's stunning we played it for these young people who obviously weren't around when this happened and it was moving you know because there's a there's a moment where you know they they lose contact with mm-hmm. the astronauts and it was really really great radio drama and you know it's it's we had never listened to the record we had collected it but then we played it for our space party mm-hmm so it was on, it's for you, you experienced it yourself, wasn't yeah. it? That's pretty nice. Now, you must have waited. I mean, do you think about playing that first, like getting, you know, getting the head start to know where to tear up or where to move into this thing, or <laughs> just let it fly? We, no, we just played it. Nice. That's, um, so we had a message come in. Uh, this comes in from uh, Jeff. Uh, I'm not going to lie. When I was a kid, I totally bought the Alpha album from Asia because it had fantasy art cover. Uh, <laughs> Birds, tropics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, there also was bands like Star Castle just for the fantasy art. Uh, yeah. It spawned for my mom, who I remember had mid-century albums of Igor Stravinsky's albums showcased on the wall. And I still remember the weird-shaped trumpet drawing of Dizzy Gillespie's album as I, every morning when I walked down the stairs. Oh, oh cool. that's great. That's so, great memory. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. he's, he still keeps it going, but he's mm-hmm. uh, obviously more of a fantasy art than that sort of style. Yeah, but people influenced and in, in, in responding to covers of the albums, that's, that's just great. Great data for us. <laughs> well, and one of the, I think the last record in the book is Music in Orbit by Ron Goodwin. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's not a very great record, but it's, you can see it's kind of inspiration for all the fantasy art of oh, the yeah. 70s and 80s. Roger Dean, it's very much that kind of, you know, outer space fantasy vision. Mm-hmm. And we love that the U.S. is showing up on uh, the purple planet in the background. Yeah, I just saw it. Could have been anything, but it's this giant. You yeah, know. Clearly, United States. It's dead, dead center right <laughs> and there. And we think the arch that's supposed to be on the moon came straight from Utah as well. So. Oh yeah, it definitely looks like that one. Funny. Oh yeah, the art is amazing. So, uh, so where can people pick up this book? By the way, people are. In Rochester, they're selling it at the RIT Barnes & Noble. Okay. They're also selling it at the little Shop One on the RIT campus. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you can order it online. Nice. This is great. Yeah, definitely. This is a book that I definitely need to get from my shelf. And I now I have a couple uh, presents figured out for people oh, for birthday and Christmas. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, we do have planned um, some moment in the future where we will have a party based on the, the recipes. But I do feel given a couple of 
sort of just dip appetizers that we made that we need to try them out before we actually have yeah. the party because some yeah, yeah, yeah some of those so much gelatin yeah yeah yes, exactly <laughs> yeah. a little too much cream cheese maybe the whipped ham and all aspects all the time aspects uh-huh. all the time we uh, yeah I actually acquired a uh, Betty Crocker uh, uh, like recipe card book from the fifties. And uh, in there, we actually, so we had a two-part party. You show up first, we all get drunk, have some fun, and you pick a card out. And then next party, in two weeks, we get back together, you make the card you picked out while you had had too much to drink. Uh And we did this party twice. First time, we learned the second time we're going to have money for the pizza we're going to order because not many of that stuff was edible. It was, there was a a backup. Yeah, it was really bad. It was pretty rough, pretty rough. So, but yeah, actually, much like that, those little Betty Crocker sort of cards, and there was such quirky stuff in there. So... Uh, so we're just talking about the uh, sounds in space. We have yeah, the some... sounds in space is a classic uh, in the book. You know, it's got a great graphic design cover, and it's got the living stereo designation from RCA, and it's also a stereo demonstration record. So one of the things we read about in the book, and you know, when when these records were coming out, they were high tech. Mm-hmm. So the record, the LP record, was introduced in around 1948, and then stereo came out in 1958. So this was a record that was to demonstrate the wonders of your hi-fi stereo. And if that would be okay, I just thought maybe we'd read one or Please two do. Yeah, paragraphs no. from the book, and then maybe we can play a song or something from, that sounds perfect. from Sounds excellent. in Space. Um, so this is for, um, yeah, page 354. This is the space chapter, as far away from home as you can get, we decided. Um, Many LPs released during the height of the space race adopted a space theme, no matter how tangential it might have been to the album's content. Against dark space, specked with white stars, three heavenly bodies, one blue with a yellow ring, and two shattered and pale green, anchor the delightfully simple cover of Sounds in Space. Thin white lines map partial elliptical and circular orbits and add lightness to the design, which prominently displays the famous living stereo designation. The album, the RCA Victor Stereophonic Sound Demonstration Record, begins with narrator Ken Nordine, who had recently released the cult favorite Word Jazz album. And he announces, quote, the age of space is here, and now RCA Victor brings you sounds in space. The LP includes excerpts from high-profile RCA recordings, along with classic stereo demonstrations of a train puffing and a racetrack car zooming as these sounds move between the stereo channels. And Nordine's distinctive charismatic commentary travels from one channel to another as he explains, quote, the miracle of RCA's stereophonic sound. Countdown. Ten seconds to firing. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. of space is here. And now RCA Victor brings you sound in space. Stereophonic sound.
What you are now hearing is conventional high-fidelity sound. But wait, there's something new and better. It's the miracle of stereophonic sound by RCA Victor. You'll hear the difference. First, conventional hi-fi, then in a moment, stereo. amazing i got impressed by that so like we were talking it must have been this booming out of the speakers at the right moments there yeah. that, that so those are designed to showcase what you can do why you're why you need better sound in your home gosh yeah. darn it, you deserve better and, sound you know why you needed to buy a new stereo why you needed to buy two speakers a new you know needle for your record player and they they you know they really played around with the stereo mix they mm-hmm. take it to the left and the right channel and so they'd get that stereo motion wow I, was I imagine kind of listening if, to it earlier. Um, just I had my headphones on and listening to it, and it was a fantastic experience. Yeah, it was great. Fun. It was a lot of fun. And that narrator is kind of a cult classic, Ken Nordine. If you ever find one of his records, they're really fun. Word jazz is just this hysterical, like beat poetry with jazz. Oh, I will have to look that guy up because I mean that's that's a like a voice. I mean that's a, he a has voice. Quite in, a voice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, gosh. he was he a, has... a cornerstone. I was a radio production major. Oh, and right. Yeah, the two people that my, my professor was obsessed with was Ken Nordine okay. and Gene Shepard. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. everything from those two guys, yeah. if you create the Venn diagram, that was my professor. Yeah, so that's great. everything Ken Nordine had, we, we kind of worshipped. It, th- it's wonderful. I think for a while, sort of general populations thought it was kind of goofy. But it's good to know that people who are serious about that knew that he was somebody to keep listening to yeah, and to he, think he about. was quite a trailblazer for what he did it was incredible yeah. still to this day he's really great oh it's true yeah well i'm, I'm learning stuff right now that's amazing mm-hmm. yeah see good having a, a knowledgeable person in the box you know, helps <laughs> helps us look right. better <laughs> um so we went from space and uh we were talking about the way that culture uh like the american culture was being showcased in these albums uh, you had mentioned Japan. Um, now, this is what, what I guess. Where would this uh, be spawning from? Who would be thinking the best idea to share these cultures? Is this from a, uh, a society's design that they should be having sharing this like wonderful aspect of of the you know the the the, the world you can't get at like you know um, because in this book there's a bunch of other ones but in albums I just posted a picture onto my Instagram feed of that album cover we just listened to now as well as one that is um, actually the one right here the the uh, Zulu's one the African Zulu which is in front of me right here and this is another one that spawns from a, a culture uh, that you would you know like you said you had Japan and Germans after the war that sort of, but this is the African Zulu nation like this album here, what can tell yeah, me more this about is, this? This is an interesting album, and this is part of the Capital of the World series, and 
again, so it's a major record company trying to have a really wide range of records available to their customers. They're also partners with EMI and other record labels around the world, so they were releasing you know, what was home records mm. in the U.S., but they also, so, you know, and some of the records sold pretty well. The Zulu record and a couple of other records in the book, like Kasango, Modern Music of the Belgian Congo, and Cairo, The Music of Modern Egypt, these were kind of exotic to exotic examples to round out their selection. Okay, so almost, th- diversify. They, right. Yeah. Almost like a shoe store might have, you know, extremely high heels, you know, that in the window that catches people's attention, but, oh, well, not that many people are going to buy them. Or a Chrysler dealer might have an, a super exotic car that brings people into the showroom, mm-hmm. but not every, you know, people end up buying a minivan. And so, we went to the library at University of Missouri, Kansas City, which is where the archives are, Dave Dexter's archives, and he was the one who produced Capital of the World. And uh, we were able to read the memos between him and his huh. supervisors. And there was often the sense of like, oh, I don't know if we should spend the money making that, you know, exotic record mm-hmm. and and Dexter would come back and say oh it's great music and and we really need it to to create some interest with the exotic mm-hmm. rather than just more Germany more Switzerland more France yeah, it's so a, it was it was part of a marketing strategy too because totally grocery exactly. stores yeah. and department stores were starting to sell vinyl at the time and so record stores needed to have some some stock that was interesting so we thought Jonathan might read a little bit from the Zulu one and then I think Matt's going to give us a, another tune So this is what we wrote about this Music of the African Zulus record. Although the content of Music of the African Zulus consists of late 1950s pop music, it's recorded in Johannesburg in modern, superbly equipped studios, the cover features a striking color photograph of Zulu women performing outdoors in traditional dress, barefoot, on dry grass. The liner notes describe the LP's selection this way. This long-playing record presents a collection of contemporary hit songs, a sort of Zulu hit parade, as well as standard jazz selections sung in the various languages and South African dialects, and all are self-composed by the artists themselves. Although patronizing comments mar the liner notes, such as the Zulus have a knack for music and Zulu tribal dances may appear meaningless and repetitive to the Caucasian audience, listening to this remarkably up-to-date sounding LP today we can hear connections to make to to uh, Makeba, trumpeter Hugh Masakela, who just died, and other successful South African musical groups such as Ladies Black Mombazo and the Boyoyo Boys, as well as South African-inspired American musicians such as Paul Simon and Vampire Weekend. So I think we're going to try to play one of the selections from Music of the African Zulus. Tu l'as, 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 tu l
African Zulus. That was a great collection. I I have to say right now, uh, I posted a picture of this cover on my Instagram feed. If you guys want to check it out or run out, buy this book and come back and get it. But the cover art for this, I expected something like I was mentioning here. It seemed like I was going to have a microphone put into like the center of a Zulu nation mud hut uh, uh, war party, lack of a better term, because there's women on here and it is a grass Savannah, they have their traditional garb on, and music of the African Zulus, I did not expect to have a, I'm going to set my fingers to a great piano, uh, vocals were amazing, uh, I, I, I'm actually slightly surprised by this. Yeah, it's, the, the cover's a little misleading in this case, because it's really just, you know, contemporary of the time, South African pop music, Yeah, and we, you know, this is one of our favorite discoveries in writing the book, it's like, wow, we played this album and just discovered great music. And we do try to bring up some of the issues of race and gender that come through on some of these albums. And definitely some of the more exoticized populations on this Capital of the World series, uh, we try to bring that out and suggest why um, maybe it was represented in that way, but also realize there's some problems with those representations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems like it, you know, now when, when was that released? When was that would have been? It's probably 1958. Okay. So... It's interesting for in 1958 America to be putting together exactly. an album, so they had to figure a way of softening it for yep. the masses. I'll say for other don't need descriptive words in that one. Um, and uh, I, I I hope someone bought that. It was pleasantly surprised because I want to hear more of this album. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, the back of the album, like you're saying, there's uh, music of and you have a photo of this on the next page, which you don't. You said you don't have in every single one. Uh, it's just amazing to see the smiling faces of these globe-trotting vocal group singers. Yeah, this was just around the time that Mary McCabe was breaking out with her, you know, became an international hit, Pata Pata. And uh, a lot of the, you can hear, you know, she sounds like a lot of these groups that were just kind of recording in Johannesburg. And we love the idea that these were available and that maybe these came into people's homes. And it's not the case, um, you don't see it on this one, but on a number of them, like the Cairo, recorded in Cairo and Egypt, and then um, some of the ones from Spain, the one from Evening in Beirut, Evening in Damascus, you have dual language texts. Also with China, mm-hmm. you'll have the, the Chinese characters. So dual language for the entire of the liner notes. Wow. Chinese or Arabic against the English. And and we really love that sense that, that this might have been maybe the first time in some U.S. households that they had Arabic script yeah. or that they had Chinese script. And that if you wanted to, you, as a kid, you could have tried to... Translate between them, you know, if you were that kind of kid. I can imagine being that kid. And I just, yeah, me too. Completely obsessing me <laughs> exactly. about everything. Yeah. What is that word? Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, we did have some people message in, by the way. Chris sent in a picture uh, we were all enjoying here. Cocktail time with Ernie uh, Felice, his name? Uh, Ernie Felice Quartet. Uh, that's the one with the lovely martini glasses. Uh, so Chris fantastic. And, gorgeous yeah. cover. Uh, yeah, he said this is what his mom would uh, pop on for, before getting ready for the party. That's and great. there's and it's an ashtray. Yeah, it's a bottom. And, and, That's and it has ashtray, and that yeah. little mod ashtray has a holders for both cigarettes, and there's a cigarette on each end, and they're smoking it up. Oh my god! <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Thanks for sending it in. Uh, yeah. So if you guys have any other albums you want to send in, we have another about uh, 15 minutes or so left of the show. Uh, let us know you, you, if you have your favorite album, whatever is happening. If you like this stuff, let the guest have a question for him. Let us know. We're here to listen. Uh, we did have one right in now. Um, Sorry, guys. Unless it's got a dragon on a building and a flying motorcycle, then I won't hang it on my wall. Chris writes in, which I think he's referring to what Meatloaf's uh, Back into Hell one. That, that uh, was, that's one of the top selling records of all time. It is. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Ah, uh, Meatloaf. <laughs> so thanks. That was uh, from another Chris. Actually, Chris K. wrote that one in. So thanks, Chris. Um, uh, one more person. Uh, I, this is I have a lot of there's been a lot of banter back and forth uh, and emails here. So thank you for writing in, guys. Uh, so all us talk about sci-fi covers and everything else, but no one's going to mention Ringo Starr's Goodnight Vienna. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, it, so apparently it has a gort from the day the Earth stood still. Is that oh, the thing? Oh, yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes, yeah, yeah. yes. Some weird bizarre world image Megan writes in saying this. <laughs> so, yeah, apparently Ringo Starr had gort from the day the Earth stood still standing mm-hmm. next to him in there. Yep. Yep. Um, now, uh, most people are writing in, and it seems like there's a lot of nostalgia associated with what they're writing in, with uh, people were saying before about their mom's albums of the wall. Uh, another one wrote in, uh, actually, my uh, wonderful girlfriend. Uh, she liked Elton John's Goodbye Yellow Brick Road as a kid just yes. because it had such bright colors yeah, yeah. of the movie. Uh, do you find that we, we're in a world where uh, vinyl is having a resurgence, mm-hmm. but luckily vinyl is so amazing that the old vinyl is still there and playable. Exactly. So do you think this is a, a bit of nostalgia helping just really good music tech plus amazing art? Is just a, this, this a wonderful medium that, seem to survive and outlast I, I think it's really interesting because it looks like vinyl is going to outlast CDs mm-hmm. you know we That's I mean we're not purists we have some CDs and we stream but one of the things we're amazed is we'll buy these records some of them are 60 years old like like the music of the African Zulus that's about 60 years old and you know that that recording was a file that we recorded off our very album mm-hmm. sounded fine it sounded and, amazing you know, it's just great. amazing if you know if they had to be taken care of had to be stored properly and so the vinyl records just a very long lasting format mm-hmm. well, i mean it's it's a it's a literally an audio a wave carved in the structural thing versus a magnetic you know file hopefully is not affected but i mean even cd's and dvd's have a shelf life i mean they're realizing now we're at the point where like Oh yeah! If you didn't have them set in the right spot, that yeah. album was never going to yeah. play. Ellen again. told us that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Surprise! Yeah, yeah I, yeah. I have a few that I no no longer playable. So not that I have a device that can play them anymore. My, mm-hmm. my device. I mean, that's the trick too. I have yes. a record player. I don't have a CD player anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, this person wrote in. They have a record player too because that they uh, it, it's a pretty device. Like they, yeah. it's actually a, someone made their vinyl record player is part of a stereo system that is a stunning, like nicely designed thing. That was a nice. He had to get it because it. Was Part yeah. of it on there. I remember in the early 90s, I was visiting a friend and he was having this house built, kind of his dream house. And he was telling me, he's going on and on how he was going to hide all the music components. He was going to hide his receiver and, you know, wire the house. That was kind of the early days of wiring a house. And I just, 
I just said, well, why do you want to hide your stereo? <laughs> I couldn't understand it. Because, yeah, they're, they're good looking. They're fun fun to look at. Jonathan and I are often the people in the room who, who bring in those perspectives. We're like, mm. well, why, why would you get rid of your vinyl? We don't care that it's heavy. We carry it anyway. You know, it, we're always the persons who are who are bringing in that perspective. Yeah, and you guys, you said before, you moved. There was London and Stockholm, and so you guys bringing boxes of vinyl we, with you, you know, to these oh, magical. We shipped we, them across we, the ocean for a while. Oh we gosh. had our record stored, and it came a time when we just kind of said, "Well, we're we're going to have to bring them over to Europe, mm-hmm. or or else something yeah, yeah. else." And we just no, we're going to bring them over. Wow. So, yeah. So your vinyl has. A slow boat to, yeah, to, yeah, to yeah, yeah, Europe. Yeah, yeah. When we moved to Rochester from England, the movers came over and started loading our vinyl into boxes. Oh, my God. And, you know, we were doing other things in the house. We came up and we realized they had loaded them horizontally. No. Oh, boxes, no. Know, stacking them. And we go, oh, take them out. You know, we were like so upset. And we had no idea how long it might be before we would see those boxes yeah. again or have <laughs> yeah. a place to unpack them. So and we, the idea we, that they would have been, if we hadn't noticed... Oh, yeah. we would have been I can't they, imagine they, how much you would have lost. Or oh gosh, oh, yeah, they really... dutifully took them out and put, yeah. them, put them the right they way up in the grumbly. boxes. Yeah. yeah, if if the, the listening audience doesn't get this, just the, you guys are reacting like it's happening right now. I mean, your hands <laughs> up to your head. It's, it's like visceral. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. They, they are not acting, yeah. or they, this, there's a legit concern yeah, yeah, yeah. in yeah. their voice. Kind of so it didn't that. happen to me, and the color drained from my face. <laughs> if you would have seen it, yeah. You know, because it was a young young guy. They don't you know, know. He didn't know the rule that you don't you don't store your vinyl horizontally. So mm. we thought we would just read a, just a short bit from the Cuba chapter, and yeah. then we have a cut from. Uh, what is called on the cover Havana Holiday, but in one of these funny little quirks on the back of the record, it's called Echoes of Havana. So, um, (laughs) yeah, we love those little... More for your money. (laughs) A little bit of everything. Okay, so from Chapter 9 on Cuba, we, we included Cuba because we had suddenly, without even realizing it, a number of Cuba records. And uh, we thought that was strange because we had never been to Cuba, didn't even think we could go yeah, to Cuba. Cuba's off limits when yeah, we were, so I, you know. I mean, it's, it's only, only stopped to recently. And I mean, Cuban was, records just disappeared after 59. Yeah. You know, so they, when we found Dancing at the Havana Hilton, we were just in heaven. And then we realized when we made it into a chapter in the book, oh, this is like the Cold War close to home. Yeah. So uh, for those who grew up in the 1950s, it can be difficult to believe that Cuba played such after the 1950s, that Cuba played such a huge role in post-war U.S. imagination for glamorous, cultured, well-heeled travel. However, Cuba served as a popular destination for tourists and honeymooners for decades before the Castro Revolution. Billed as a nearby playground and convenient for weekend getaways, Cuba served seemed colorful and glamorous, yet familiar with the pastimes of cocktail hour dancing and gambling. Cuba attracted U.S. travelers who came to, quote, and this is from the liner notes on our on our record, enjoy the exotic charms of a distinctive old Spanish colonial city and later to experience the excitement of gambling casinos, end quote. Cuba inspired an entire genre of LPs, some sponsored by Hilton Hotels and Cook's Tours, many others driven by the dance crazes, the Latin dance crazes of the era. Often Cuban albums lingered on the colorful aspects of Cuban heritage.
So that was Las Sugras from Tito Rivera and his Cuban Orchestra, featuring Yoyo Gonzalez and Jose Morales. And this is from the album Havana Holiday. And we love it because on the front it says, Thrill to the world's finest true high fidelity. You must hear it to believe it. <laughs> that has a nice sunset of Havana. <laughs> the, the the cover is just a beautiful thing. They're dancing. Oh, that's what one. I'm a I'm a visual person. I I have a degree in visual communications. It's my thing, and I I get very bummed when people start the MP3s. I am like yeah, you I, lose a lot. I, I lost so <laughs> much. I'm a person that would walk through an out al- like I have albums that I I bought clearly just because I like the artwork on the on there. Band didn't turn out as well as the artwork does. Uh, but now I see MP3s. There are certain things that I know. I see I see artwork now for songs that. I, I've owned and I feel gypped. I, I bought an MP3, never realizing that the cover art was done by a and the artist. There was a component of their piece. They're like it was how they had a showcase to the world or something else. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad to see these. And this is just beautiful stuff. These album covers. So, um, so I, I got to thank everyone for mess- writing in. By the way, we've been having a blast in the show. We're coming up to the end of the show. Uh, we have about five six minutes. So nothing nothing too soon. We got to get out of here. But uh, we did have one question coming into. Uh, if someone was willing to learn more or want to learn more about these records, is there a place that you suggest? Is it good websites, some blogs you listen to, or your own blog? Is there a yeah, way of to... we, we have a website for the book, but it has a lot of other content, too. And it's just called designforhifiliving.com. Mm-hmm. And we try to showcase some of the records. We're talking about what we're doing. Um, there's, there's a great site called Music Eureka. So mm-hmm. Music Eureka, all one word. I think it's a guy in, in Holland. And he has a lot of these record covers online that you can look at. Nice. And we did, if you go to the designforhifiliving.com site, there is a news and reviews page. And we have links to, for example, we wrote a couple of blog pieces for the MIT Press um, focusing on some of the issues that aren't in the book, like uh, this amazing uh, illustrator, uh, Moselle Thompson. And we tried to bring him to life a little bit sounds, sounds amazing uh um where actually i'm sorry i'm reading another email right now a person just at this they didn't uh expect to hear 
they've been listening to the music. They're like, I, I was jamming to the music. All of a sudden, you guys started talking again. Nah, so, <laughs> sorry. sorry. Sorry, I guess. I guess getting back to the show. Uh, I was trying to read it and realize I, I couldn't tell if they're yelling at me for a second there. But no, they're just apparently they're really enjoying this these albums. Um, and the question was, when the album came out, the Cuban one, was that ball- ballpark when? Was this it? is probably 1957 or 1958. So, and like and we said, they just disappeared yeah, know, yeah. after 1959. I mean, because uh, Cuban Missile Crisis is the 60s, right? Yeah. 60, Cuban Missile Crisis, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so early. So, um, we have this great album called Dancing at the Havana Hilton, and the the hotel is featured on the front, but when Castro came in to Havana, he took over that hotel and Whoa. made it uh, the Cuba Libre, the headquarters. Havana Libre. The Havana he, Libre. He re, you know, no longer it was the Havana Hilton. It was the Havana Libre. Yeah. So so dancing at the Havana Hilton uh, went down the tubes if you were one of the people who were planning to hop over from Miami. Forget oh, it. Oh. No more rum. No more Havana Hilton. Noted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Uh, and actually, I want to touch base too. Uh, that if you guys have been giving talks and traveling around, you were in London uh, yeah. when I we met. We're doing oh. a pretty active book talk promotion tour, and mm-hmm. you know we're hitting a lot of different kind of talks. We're doing art museums, record stores, bookstores. You know, we do some university talks. Each one's different, made for the location. Try Makes to be sense. fun. Oh, perfect. You guys strike me as that. I mean, you guys are definitely making this a good experience for us here. Great. Uh, now, they has. This uh, albums you're making these albums. Have you had any artists come and like? Uh, you must attract a certain crowd, and you must also have some musicians and artists come in there. Uh, you must be. If we have some of these talks. Do you try to like draw some like drop some names in? Like I want to have so and so show up, or I want to have, or do people show up that you don't expect? Or well, one of one of our heroes is a an album cover designer named Peter Saville. He founded Factory Records, and he showed up at our talk in London. So mm-hmm. it was just it was just so fun to meet him and talk about his record cover design. He was our hero wow. of, of record cover design. That's an incredible name. Yeah, he, he's <laughs> the name amongst names, right? Yeah. It's Roger Dean and then him. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh, this is uh, you get this is an amazing book. Uh, people definitely need to p- check it out. Pick it up. Uh, check the website out. Uh, we have an event uh, coming up. The last bit here. You do have an event that RIT. Uh, you can check out uh, Design, Sound, and Vision in Mid Century Media is uh, an event happening. The current uh, conference. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be a conference over a couple of days. We're going to have people f- coming from all over, and uh, they're all going to focus on mid century media. We're focusing on vinyl, a form of mid century media, uh, but other people will be focusing on different aspects. Well, it's cool. Definitely check it out. Uh, and they can check that out by going to the RIT website, right? Just look, do yeah, that. the Kern website, K-E-R-N at RIT. Awesome. Uh, and you guys are hoping for keeping going on to another uh, another book soon. So thanks again for uh, listening, guys. We're coming up to the end of the show. This has been The Mind of Magnus here on 106.3 FM. WRFC, thanks to all the underwriters out there. Thanks to Matt Obscure in the box. Uh, thanks to my guests, Jonathan and Janet. Website again, please. Make sure you give it out there. Designforhifiliving.com. Beautiful. Uh, check out their books. You can get it at the RIT bookstore. Uh, it's a square book. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, if you guys have any ideas for a guest for another show, let us know. Uh, this has been The Mind of Magnus here on 106.3 FM. WRFC, LP Rogers. Thanks so much, folks. Take care of yourselves.